Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the way. Well, good morning again. I know I've already been up once, but good morning again and happy Father's Day to all of our dads out there. I do hope it's a great day for you. Did we all weather pretty well in the storm Friday? Everybody's got electricity back and all that. I know Colonial Heights and Petersburg were hit pretty hard. Uh, we, uh, I, as a matter of fact, I, I bring this up. You know, we're in a series in Genesis right now, and I just recently talked about the Sabbath and what a gift, what a blessing that is—not a requirement, not a rule, but but a blessing. And uh, just thinking about that here recently, I realized today I'm not being a great blessing to my neighbors. On the Sabbath, uh, in the storm Friday, we had several trees, two to be in fact to be delivered to the top of our house. Uh, yeah, it was a lot, a lot of fun. Do you know it sounds like a bomb goes off? Actually, it'll make you, it'll make you sit up and think about what's going on in life. But uh, we had these these two trees, and uh, so of course everybody's busy down in Colonial Heights in Petersburg. So they came by yesterday to assess. What's going on? So right after I'd left this morning, because I'm, I'm celebrating the Sabbath. After I'd left this morning, two cranes arrived at my house, of course, with a, a large chipper. So at my home right now, there is a profound lot of noise going on on the Sabbath. But it'll be done by the time I get home. So that's the really good news in this. I'm, I'll be celebrating the Sabbath. In, in, but I know I have several neighbors that sometimes watch online, so... Sorry you can't get out and it's real noisy. But uh, yeah, we are in Genesis. We've had two special Sundays here so uh, to, to start off June. So it was actually three Sundays ago that we were in Genesis. And that message three Sundays ago is really connected to today's message. Three Sundays ago, it was chapter 3, verse 1 to 7. And in that, we saw Adam and Eve fall in sin. And, and you remember in that, there's this kind of weird conversation going on with a talking snake. That's not normal. I don't think snakes talked before that. I don't think they've talked since. I do believe in a literal talking snake in that moment. And I also believe that part is very purposeful. Because, you know, you're always in a conversation with temptation. Whatever's standing in front of you, a, a person, an idea, an action, a reaction, whatever that temptation is, there's a conversation that is going on. And boy, we learned in that, that those opening verses of Genesis 3, how important when that conversation is happening that we are anchoring to, we are holding on to our faith, our belief, God is good and God's word is good. Adam and Eve didn't hold on to that. That They went ahead and went with the idea that there was something behind that fruit that was more than God. And we're going to read now the consequence, what, what unfolded because they did not hold on to their faith in God. Let's look at that. Genesis chapter 3, and I'll begin in verse 8. It says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And the Lord called out to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Well, who told you that you were naked, the Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And the man replied, it was the woman 
boy, I tell you, there's so much of this is becoming so understandable. <laughs> she did it. You, it was the woman you gave me the fruit, the fruit, and I ate it. And then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent, his fault. <laughs> the serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed. More than all the animals, domestic and wild, you will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth and you will desire to control your husband. That word right there, desire, my translation I'm reading out of the New Living today says desire to control. Probably a lot of you are reading translation that just says your desire will be for your husband. Uh, here the New Living really nails it. That is the much more accurate translation, that desire to control. We're actually going to see this same word used next week in Genesis chapter 4, a different context and setting, and see how big it is that we understand what this word means. But here, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. Then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve, because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. And then the Lord God took, said, look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out, take fruit from the tree of life, then eat it, then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the garden of Eden. And he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So again, Genesis chapter 3, 1 to 7, we see Eve reach out. It actually says it, it looked good, it looked desirable, but it wasn't just a, hey, I think that'll be a tempting meal. I think I'll try that. No, it was something behind the fruit. There was an idea there. Hey, God said no to you, and that can't be good. God, God must be holding out on you. God's keeping something from you. And in that temptation, she reached out and said, I can find more apart from God. And boy, immediately, and I say immediately, let, let me stop right there already before I even finish the sentence. Hey, are, the consequences for our sin aren't always immediate, aren't they? Are they? No, I mean, that's why we sin, because it works. I mean, sometimes it, it gets us what we want. It gets me the pleasure, the protection. It gets me the revenge. It, it, it gets me out of the moment. Sometimes it works. Consequence is always coming. But boy, if I don't feel it immediate, I, I'm a lot likely to keep going in this. Well, theirs was immediate. Immediately there's shame and there's blame. 
Immediately, shame between each other. They're hiding and covering from each other. There's shame between man and God. They're, they're hiding from Him. And that's not going to work for any amount of time with an all-knowing, everywhere present in God. So they move from shame to then blaming. they got to blame the other for doing it. And this is what then brings us to Genesis chapter Three. Before we get to that, kind of an interesting question. I, I don't know how important it is, but I find it interesting. How much time between chapter 2 and chapter 3? How much time from the completion of this perfect world, these perfect people, they're in a perfect relationship with God, how much time from that moment to the moment of the sin? Now, obviously, there's no verse that says 900 years later, six months later, there, there's no verse like that. But how much time was there? I'm, I'm very curious. I think it happened very quickly. I might even almost float the idea that it was day eight. Now let's remember where we are in the order of days here. So chapter one, really to about chapter two, verse three, is an outline of how God created with the outline being by the days. Okay? So we've got seven days as we end as we get to chapter 2, verse 3. But then as we go to the rest of chapter 2, chapter 2 is going back into the first week, right? It's going back to day 6. In Genesis 1, it just said, on day 6, God made humans. God made them male and female in his image. Very general statement, God made people. But then we get to chapter 2, and it goes back to day 6, and it kind of zooms in on that moment, and we get a little more detail. What, what, what happened? How did that unfold that God made the man? And then he came back, and he made the woman. And in making the male and the female, he then gives us marriage. Now, there's going to be all kinds of relationships that we're going to experience in life, but God ordains, God creates this very special relationship they're going to be in called marriage. All of that is taking place on day six. So what comes after day six? It's it's seven, folks. This isn't hard math, right? Yeah, just boom, it's six, bam, seven right there. Okay, so when we finish chapter two, we're still on day seven, right? So then we open up and we're in chapter three. I would suggest we're at day eight for a couple of reasons. One, one of the commands they were given was to have children. And we're going to see next week when we get, get to chapter four, they, they, they got onto that assignment pretty quickly. But yet when she's standing, when they are standing there at the tree, there's no child, They're also not pregnant because we know in chapter 4, verse 1, when she gets pregnant. So I would suggest we're certainly not talking about 900 years later or 100 years later or even 10 years later. I would suggest we're inside of nine months. But I think there's something even more important than that. Satan. Satan's smart and Satan is strategic. And I don't believe Satan wants God to be able to build any track record with Adam and Eve. He doesn't want them to experience his goodness, his faithfulness, day in, day out, whatever's going on. He wants to strike soon because what's behind the temptation? God's not good. You can't count on him. He's hiding something from you. So I believe he's going to move immediately. Now, whether it's day eight, I don't know, eight 12, 27, I think, I think it's pretty quick. 
I think very quickly he's moving in there to tempt them with this idea You can have more than what God's offering. And the path to that more is to say yes to everything he said no to. Go go, go after that. And again, I'm going to use that word immediately. Man, immediately that doesn't go well. Do you notice there's absolutely no confidence that I just made the right decision? Do you ever do something and then kind of look around and say, I think everything's okay. (laughs) I think this worked. I think we're going to be, man, there's immediately, there's no confidence this is going to pay off anywhere. And so they go to hide. They, they cover up from each other and they, they go to hide from God. Which again, think about how smart we're working through that. God's all knowing, God's everywhere present. So I'm going to hide behind a tree. That ought to work. <laughs> kind of silly, isn't it? So why do we do it? You do it. They did it. We do it every, not not like one time in our life. You've hid from God this week behind a tree. Okay. I'm using the word tree now metaphorically. Maybe not with like bark and leaves, like the one that's on my house. (laughs) Hopefully not by now. (laughs) Now, maybe not behind a tree, but you know what you hide behind? You hide behind the tree of intellect. You know, I don't even know if I believe in God. I mean, you can't prove it in a science lab. And you know, even if I wanted to believe in a God and a Bible, man, I, re- I just, haven't we evolved past a lot of these ideas and, and this way of thinking now? See, I don't have to fix anything. I don't have to respond to anything that's not right to me. But why? Because I'm hiding behind the idea, I don't have to believe. I'm smart enough. Look how good I look in my intelligence. M- maybe we go and we hide behind the tree of rebellion. I don't have to do what anybody tells me to do. I can, I can decide what is right and wrong. I can decide what is right and wrong for me. So there's, there's, hey, you know, nothing going on here. I look fine. Now, probably a tree a lot of us are going to hide behind is the tree of morality, the tree of religion, the, the tree of spirituality. Yeah, okay, so yeah, I've got these things. I mean, we're all church-going people, so we know I've got these things over here not so right about me. But look at all the rules I obey. Look, look at the spiritual thoughts. I Did you see me singing this morning? I mean, look at these good things. You know what we're doing? We're dressing ourselves up in fig leaves, saying nothing to see here. I've got, look how good I look. I'm, I'm covered. I'm, I'm okay. And, and boy, that is flimsy. In the light of God's holiness, in the light of truth, in the light of justice, because that's what, that's what sin is. And that's what sin is, not handling it right. It's unholiness, it's untruth, and it's injustice. And we're, we're trying to play a game with ourselves that, look, look, look at this. I'm okay. And it, and it doesn't work. So we're going to have to move from hiding to, to then blaming. Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the servant. By the way, a couple of interesting things to note here. Did you notice God asks Adam and Eve some questions, right? Now, hope, I hope we know he's not asking because he needs information, right? He's all-knowing. He's everywhere present. He knows everything. Matter of fact, this is a good thing to bring up on Father's Day. Sometimes I mean, y'all have never done it. I have to confess as a father, I did. Sometimes I asked my kids a question I already knew the answer to. Right? You, you and I would probably call that entrapment. Entrapment's not good. God's not trapping them. 
God's giving them a chance. Folks, I know you see the, whoo, look, God's angry and does and wham, wham, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. I hope when we leave here today, you see God's grace all the way through this, God's kindness. He's asking these questions thinking, come on, come on, please. Do, do the right thing here. Say the right thing. And, and they don't. They, they, they go to blaming. So he asks Adam and Eve some questions. Did you notice he didn't ask the serpent any questions? Didn't ask any questions about the serpent's role in this. Now remember, the serpent is the embodiment of Satan here. Okay? Why is there no questions? Because Satan doesn't have a chance to become clean. Is that because God's angry forever at Satan and he's just not going to fix it? No, not at all. Satan and the angels have already had their point of decision. They've already walked through their time. Am I going to trust God? Am I not going to trust God? You and I are in that season where we're going to decide that step of faith. I'm going to trust in myself or I'm going to trust in God. Now, at some point in this season, we die. And when we die... That decision is then locked in eternity. I'm either eternally saved or I'm eternally lost. That has already happened with the angels. There's nothing to give Satan to come clean about here. He's already eternally made his decision to be an antagonist to God. So I don't need to ask any questions there. And so he moves right to the the judgment. So we get all this back to the blaming. We get all this blaming going on. And, you know, that doesn't ever seem right But, I mean, it is true. I mean, other people have influenced us. Other people have hurt us. And sometimes the influence of that person, the hurt of that person, it sets me up. It sets me up to fail. Because of that relationship, because of that abuse, because of that neglect, because of that betrayal, I'm just now more likely to, to respond in this bad way. And so we blame. It's, it's my parents. It's my boss. It's the society and social constructs. It's, it's the coach. And you know what? There is a reality to that. There's no doubt all of this has an impact on me. Just like Eve had an impact on Adam and the serpent had an impact on Eve. But I think what we see here, folks, really important Somebody else's guilt does not make me innocent. They are guilty. They are wrong. And God will handle that. 100% guarantee. God will handle the guilt, the wrong of what they've done. But their guilt does not mean my innocence. Yes, in the wrong of others, I am still, you are still responsible to trust God, hold on to God, say, God, how do I navigate betrayal? How do I navigate abuse? How do I navigate the lie? How do I navigate, navigate whatever it is that is happening? I think that's so important because we live in, you know what the other side of blaming is? Victimhood. We live in a culture of victim. You realize the sickness we're in now? We celebrate it. My victimness is now the good thing about me. My victimness is now what draws love and worth into my life, if not even rights and privilege. We celebrate the victimness. Nothing is me. It's what somebody else did to me. And I, I think, okay, I'm sorry that happened But one day you're going to stand before God and you need to know the truth. God will deal with that person, but their guilt doesn't make you innocent. 
You know, another uh, of those curious things to note here, God curses the serpent, right? You see it? God cursed the serpent. He does not curse Adam and Eve. Please note that. Adam and Eve are not cursed by God here. They're going to deal with consequences. Curse has the idea of, of banishment, of removal from God, of removal of blessing, and really like no path back. Adam and Eve still have a path back. But now they have the consequences of the decision that they made. And we see those consequences kind of roll out here in verses 14 to 19. Now, these are very general statements because if God listed all the brokenness that's going to come out of this, that list would be longer than the book you're holding in your hand or the app that you're scrolling through. I mean, it would go on. Every wrong, every broken thing comes back to this moment right here. So we have some general statements. And yet, in these general, there is so much. You know, I, I've, I've said, I, I, you know, by the time we get to the end of Genesis, I, I will have done like 25 messages, give or take. Sounds like a lot. I could do 100. I could do four times that we could be in Genesis for the next two years and it wouldn't be repetitive. And I think there'd be deep and great value to doing that. We would understand so much about what is going on around us that God laid out here in the beginning. And these verses are an example. I could do four sermons on verses 14 to 19, but I'm going to spend about four minutes. So, oh well, study on your own a little bit. Okay, so what do we see are the consequences of this moment? Well, okay, they just opened the door to the battle between good and evil. There's just going to, in every relationship, in every day, in everything going on, there's going to be a Satan striking, 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 one crippling blow against humanity after another. He will not stop striking. But good news. Matter of fact, that's what Genesis 3.15 is called. Proto-Evangelon. The first announcement of good news. And folks, here's where you begin to see grace. Eve with an absolute monumental failure. And before God even gets to Eve, he's already said, through you, Eve, will come victory over all of this. From you, from your seed will come one who's not just striking blows, but will crush the head, an ultimate victory, a greater victory. And we know the name of that seed, don't we? Jesus. We like to refer to him as the son of God, don't we? Because he is. But did you know a title more often used of Jesus in the New Testament than son of God? Son of man. He is the one through the seed of Eve that will crush the head of Satan. But there's going to be this process by which this battle plays out. Now, with the man and the woman, these two statements made here, it it appears to me what God is doing is kind of going, I don't want to say to the core of, of who we are or what we do, but something really special that God said, hey, this is me, and I'm going to give you a chance to do the same thing. I'm going to give you a chance to do what I do. So to the woman, God has given this incredible opportunity to create life. From you, out of you, will come another, a brand new, an entirely unique, individual, human soul. You're going to get to be a part of that, Eve. And she still gets to be a part of it, but whoo. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt a little bit when that happens. 
And to the man, he says, hey, you know what? I mean, there's a lot of things we're going to do as men. A lot of things we're going to do as women. To the man, you know, I'm a creator. I'm a gardener. You do realize God put the original garden there, right? So God's the original creator, the original garter, the, the original builder, and the original maker. And he says, and, and, and man, you're going to do that too. You're going to build, you're going to create, you're going to make, but you're going to do it now. It's gonna, you're going to sweat, and, and you're going to work on stuff all day long on your computer, and then the last button you're going to hit is delete. You're going to sweat. You're going to be frustrated. There's going to be competition. There's going to be conflict now. You're still going to be able to do that, but see what you've entered by not trusting in the goodness. And then I, I really feel like, man, the real blow here is then what happens, not just to relationships, but to the relationship between a husband and a wife. God's design was to give you and I a uniqueness, an intimacy, a oneness, probably that is only mirrored anywhere in the universe by the Holy Trinity itself. There's nothing else you would point to and say, this is what God had in mind when he brought a man and a woman together. I I think the closest thing you could point to would be the Trinity in that oneness. Everything they're doing and building and deciding and working together, there's going to be this joy in what the other wants and the joy in what I want and the joy of how we come to that together. And now, man, that's not going to be the case at all. And what's, what's defined in these two, these two lines, he, she will desire your position and he will rule over you, uh, the woman's going to seek to usurp the man. doesn't have to be, but that will be what naturally happens. And the man will use his strength and his size to dominate, to rule, even to abuse. And so now what was supposed to be this incredible togetherness, there's a conflict, a competitiveness. Listen, what, what oneness means is everybody wins. And now because of sin, in so many decisions, there's going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser. I have my way, she has her way. And the, and the selfishness of us comes out probably in marriage more than anywhere else. Oneness to winners and losers. You know, when there's a winner and a loser, that's not oneness, right? And so, again, that doesn't mean that we can still achieve that. But kind of like these statements that have already been made, with a lot of pain and a lot of sweat do we get now to that oneness. Oh, yeah. And then we die. Well, good news, folks. Y'all have a wonderful Father's Day, and we'll see you next Sunday. And then you die. After all the hard work, then you, you just go ahead and go over there and die. <laughs> That's kind of a bad spot. Sin. Fall, judgment. You know, if I'm right, my opinion, if this is day eight, day nine, I mean, gosh, it was just seven days ago. Nothing but darkness and chaos, but God. God, God moved, the God of light, the God of life, the God of hope. Man, he spoke into that darkness and he brought life and order and creation. And now, my gosh, plunged right back into darkness. And, and yet, God is speaking life and hope when he said, hey, from your seed, you'll crush the head. And you know, Adam believed that. 
Adam takes a step of faith. You say, wait, wait, I, where, I missed that. What verse is that? Well, think about that. The last line, and you will die. What's the next thing that happens after that? Adam looks at his wife and says, you'll be the mother of the living. By the way, that would be another reason that this is day eight, because he hasn't even given a name to his wife yet. <laughs> I'm guessing they didn't call each other you for 900 years. So think of that. I've just been told by God, hey, look what y'all have done. You're going to die. Yeah, but you said through the seed of my wife. And he looks at Eve and says, you will be called mother of the living. The hope God gives her, the hope he gives her. And folks, when you and I step forward in faith to take God at his word, I don't know how, I don't see it, but I'm going to trust you. I am going to trust your word. Man, you're going to find God's grace and love and forgiveness. And here, what does that mean? He, he brings them animal skins because those leaves just not going to work. <laughs> not going to work with the leaves. So he brings animal skins. But what does animal skins mean? I mean, somebody just, well, something, an animal just died. Now, this was an animal that was what? It was created like four days ago. And now it's dead. You know, I was reading a, a book recently by a guy named uh, Sam Harris. He's a pretty well-known atheist author, uh, writes a, a lot. Very challenging books, I'm going to be honest with you. I, 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 first book I picked up from him, first chapter or two, is like... Right, left, right, left. I think I'm down for the count. I can't respond to this. And he's pretty tough. He brings some strong argument against what you and I hold on to and believe. And after I got done reeling for a second, I said, wait, wait a minute. Okay, that's a lie. That's out of context. That lie may have been an accident, but this lie, he knows he's lying. And, and, oh, here he's exaggerating. Or here he's just taking one idea and not giving the... So, I, you know, I, I got to dealing with Sam pretty good. But at near the end of this book, he, he brings up something. It really kind of made me stop and think about it. He said, you know, a lot of religions, but particularly Christianity, their obsession with blood is just ridiculous. And I started thinking about that, and I thought... I'm not quite sure how to answer that. And I, and I did come to the answer, but I had to stop and think about it. I mean, you know, you think about it, if a person is a clean slate, they don't know any religion, don't know any religious writing, they don't know nothing about nothing, and they meet you, a Christian, and, you, and they say, hey man, you, you, got, you, got, you got to read the Bible. And so boy, they jump in, and man, they're really excited. Read the whole thing in a month. Boy, that'd be a lot of reading, wouldn't it? They jump in there and they're reading it and man, hey listen, I would imagine they've got a couple questions when they set it down, don't you? And I think in that list would be the blood. I mean, especially in our Disney-infused animal-loving way of looking at animals today. I mean, there's an innumerable, untold amount of numbers of animals sacrificed in the Old Testament. I mean, there's blood everywhere. And then we come into the New Testament and we kill our God in a really violent, bloody way. And just to make sure we wouldn't forget, we're going to have a little dinner every now and then and we're going to pretend it's blood. I mean, honestly, folks, to a normal thinking person, can't you think how that might look a little weird? 
a, a little odd. So, hey, God, what, what, what is the deal with the blood? I got Sam over here. It's a good question. Do you know you and I, even as believers, spend every single day of our lives minimizing our sin? You have not lived a day where you have not minimized, made small, made of no account. It's my personal decision, my private decision. It's not hurting anybody. You never stop reasoning how small your sin is. And let me tell you the greatest proof I have of that. It'd be the person in this room right now that is most ashamed and feels the most guilt for sin in their lives. We've all been there. Uh, I don't know if we all have. I think a lot of us have been there. We've got, we've got that sin over there. Maybe it was an individual event. Maybe it was a season in our life. But we got that over there. And we're so ashamed of that. And we can't imagine how God could love us. How God... For, you don't know what I'm talking about? I just... I, and we're embarrassed. Makes it hard to go to church. Makes it hard to look up. I can't believe. Did you know that right there, that whole scenario is a testimony of how little you see your sin? You say, what are you talking about? Because, folks, you and I only feel that way about a sin. We're completely fine with the thousands of sins over here. This, no shame and guilt over here. Now, that one, whoo, that one, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe God. Now, these I've got covered. I got some nice fig leaves, big wide tree. I can take care of these over here. You know, I I doubt those words have ever came out of your mouth, but folks, that's exactly what we do. Even when we're looking at the cross and we're seeing how Jesus died for us, we're still minimizing our sin. So how does God get us to wake up and realize your constant aggression against all that is holy and pure and true and right? How does he get us to wake up to that? Blood. Blood impacts everybody. You walk into a room, you know, unlock the door, flip on the light, and there's blood on the floor. I guarantee you, you stop what you're doing. There's something, right? Just the sight of blood makes us. What happened? What's wrong here? Blood always makes us ask, what happened? There's a reason there's a cross. The reason that it takes all that is God is trying to open your eyes and my eyes. It's a really big deal, your sin. It's a really big deal, your constant, ongoing rejection of what I've told you and treating it like it's something I'm hiding from you. Treating it like there's some other good to be found, so I'm going to go ahead and lie. Do you see the damage? Do you see the damage you're doing to everything? Blood is what makes us stop and look. And even with all that blood, we still keep right on going. We're incredibly resistant to recognizing our sin. So you see, there's going to be a process by which we go from the evil and sin we chose to 
returning to be a child of God to returning to being holy like God. And until that process runs its course, God in kindness kicks us out of the garden. Those last few verses don't sound kind, do they? Get him out of the garden. Put a flaming sword and a scary angel there. Keep everybody away. I don't want him to live forever. That's what it sounds like, right? Yeah, in a sinful state, if you and I go and eat from the tree of life, we're eternally locked in our sin. And to protect us from that, because clearly we've shown we don't trust God, we don't trust his word, because I know so much better, we'd go and seize that tree too. By the way, I got good news. If you go to the end of the story in Revelation, you and I are going to eat from that tree. We are going to eat from that tree. Not today. Not today, but we will eat from that tree. So, we're done. What do I do with that story? What do I do, what do, I do with Oh, I didn't know. I hadn't seen that before. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so what do I do? Is that just information? You're going to see untold opportunities this week to sin. Sins of omission, sins of commission. You're going to have untold opportunities this week to sin. What do you need to see when you're looking at that fruit? Other than it looks good and kind of desirable. Man, you need to see death and darkness. You need to see that when you grab hold of that, you are bringing so much conflict. You're, you're, going, to, you're going to fight with God. You're going to fight with yourself. You're going to fight with nature. You're going to fight with others. There's just nothing good in it. We've got to resist this temptation to say big sin and little sin. It doesn't matter what size sin it is. It's sin. There's no good in it. Go back to God. Stop excusing it, blaming it, trying to control it. Stop all that and go back to God and confess. You know, when you and I are hiding and blaming, we're lying to ourselves, aren't we? 1 John 1, 8 through 9 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If I say, I don't have any sin, I'm real smart, there is no God, so I've got no sin to account for. Hey, I've got... I've got I've got no sin. I'm, uh, I can do whatever I want. So what are you calling sin? Hey, I've got no sin because look how good I am. Look how spiritual I am. We keep handling this our way. We're just lying to ourselves and we're keeping ourselves from the answer. Listen, there's never been a good that comes from not, not lying to God, not lying to lying to yourself. But if I confess my sin, God is faithful, and I love that word, just. He's being just when he forgives me. He's doing the right. Why is it the right thing for God to forgive me? That's such an important word, because what it means is, I'm not getting God's forgiveness because I caught him in a good mood. I'm not getting God's forgiveness because that, this particular sin was kind of small and really didn't matter anyway. I'm getting, God, I'm getting forgiveness... Because the sin has been paid for by his son. And the father's already accepted that payment. So in accepting it, it is the right and just thing for my sin 
to be forgiven. How does that happen in my life? Stop hiding behind your trees and your clothing. And go hide behind the cross where judgment has already fallen. And one day, you'll lay hold of the tree of life. Let's pray. And Lord, the volume of sin of which I just think is of no account. The volume of sin I I just don't think matters. The volume of sin I don't even think to confess because I don't even acknowledge there's a wrong there. It's overwhelming. The flimsiness of my cover. I thank you for your grace and your love. I thank you for your faithfulness that you you provide a covering. You provide a place to hide. For a judgment that has to fall. That's what's just. There's no justice without judgment. But I can't bear it. I can't hold up under it. Thank you, Jesus, for bearing and holding up under it for me. For giving me that place to hide. God, I, I, I pray for myself, for all of us. Guys, just to blow wide open our sensitivities. These, this, just this next week. To see in every sin. Destruction and darkness and death. May we choose you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.